Welcome to the Discuss with Andy podcast. Here we are with Andy. Uh, hi, Andy. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Another week of lockdown done. How's things with you? Uh, very good, thank you. We are we are replanning what we're going to do after half term, but it's all going well. I've spoken to a few parents. I've spoken to lots and lots of children. They're all staying active and they're all staying safe. So I'm pretty happy. Not sure they're keeping active, but we can, but hope we can. Yeah. Okay. So this week, what uh, what are we talking about? Right. We're going to talk about um, another one of my favourite subjects. I've got a lot of favourite subjects, but. We're going to talk about Matthew Said, the Times journalist, popular science author, uh, international table tennis player, uh, all round know-it-all. Excellent. Well, <laughs> that sounds like you've you've nailed your colours to the mast already. But uh, but let's see. So Matthew Said, uh, synonymous with uh, the book Bounce, and um, obviously uh, I've I've read read parts of it. I'm sure you've read it. I'm sure lots of you out there have read it as well. So um, do you want to give us a quick summary of Bounce? Yeah, quick summary of Bounce. Very similar, of course, to Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Very similar to uh, Daniel Daniel Coyle's Talent Code. Absolutely nothing original in there, which is often the case with some of his books. Um, However, what it does is it promotes the idea that uh, getting good at something is all about doing 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. The actual name of the book is Bounce, the Myth of Talent and the Power of Practice. The Myth of Talent. Um, I don't know about you, but do you think that talent exists? Do you think that some people pick things up quicker than other people? Do you think that some people are physiologically more gifted than other people? In your work in the classroom, do you think that everybody can improve, but some people can possibly improve less than others and maybe have to work harder to do so? Is that a, is that a genuine question? That is a genuine question. I was having it this morning when I was running around a uh, thing called, we, we called the Flap It Triangle, and um, one of the guys ran, uh, running me with goes, is everybody born with the same ability to run? And I was like, wow, that's a big question quarter to seven in the morning and uh, as a teacher we I think we have to believe that they're there we have to believe that everybody can improve but we can't be so naive that there aren't physiological differences yeah and I think this is one of the problems I have with him um, a lot of it is based on research by a guy called Ericsson who looked at uh, German classical musicians and he got them to self-report a long time after this practice had taken place, estimating the number of hours that they had practiced. And it produced this lovely stat of the very, very best, the ones who made it to concert level, had all hit 10,000 hours of practice. Um, now, there's been subsequent studies done for that, and it would appear to show that actually uh, this 10,000 hours of practice only accounts for about 5% of the variance. Um and then classic Matthew Said is he takes a fact and then he just goes, this applies to everything. Um, and it doesn't. Clearly, practicing is a good thing. I don't think there's any doubt. Whatever the activity is, you want to do it to any standard you have to practice. But if you're going to push this message that that is all you have to do, you are going to end up with demotivated kids uh, because they can see if somebody's better than them or something naturally is mm. there. Um, We're going to end up with coaches pushing children to practice more, and you're going to end up with 
coaches giving books to children saying read this it's all about this when it's not even coherently argued I mean certainly certainly that idea that um, 10,000 hours in practice if a kid picks that up and or, or even the dad even worse or the, or the mum picks it up and and says yeah we need to do this so therefore we're going to train seven times a seven times a week um, in one sport and it, it, the kid's five what are you talking about no no yeah, that's not that's not conducive to any kind of to good practice. Let's let's give you a, an all round experience of lots of different different activities. Uh, surely it's going to be better. I I think that's the thing. There is there is that real danger in that, um, and of course there is examples of uh, young people who were trained by their fathers, usually their fathers, from a very early age, who have ended up becoming successful sports people. Tiger Woods, uh, Andre Agassi. You can both say that they back that argument up. Yeah. However, there are far more uh, highly successful professional sports people who played a huge variety of sports growing up, and then slightly later on, specialised. Somebody like Roger Federer famously just played everything. Yeah. Um, he was a rapid, fourteen, fifteen. He focused on his tennis. Um, yet you never, you don't really read that argument very much. You tend to always sort of the focus in popular press goes on these supposed child prodigies who've just done practice, practice, practice. You might well argue with Tiger Woods that it was a detriment to his career in the end. Yeah, I mean, certainly you look at things like uh, people like, going back a bit, but Jeff Wilson, didn't he represent New Zealand at, at cricket and and rugby? Yeah. Um, and there's he, most of the South African cricket team have played rugby at some point in their life to a pretty decent standard. Um, they just immerse themselves in their in their big private school system um, where they play a season of everything and they happen to be good yeah. at everything. Um, and you look at the you all-rounders that come out of out of the South African cricket and there's a, probably a reason why. I think, certainly with New Zealand, I think growing up there's not actually very many people. So I think you probably have to play both uh, if you're going to get a team out for cricket and a team out for rugby. A lot of Australian rugby league players are, are good cricketers yeah. in the same way that a lot of Australian cricketers were good rugby league players growing up as well. Yeah. Um, but then you come back to this thing, does that prove the point that actually there is some element of natural talent involved in success rather than just practice? Well, I think it depends on the sport, but... Um... Depends if what your sport demands are. If there's a high level of physiological demand on your on your sport, then that you clearly are going to get a head start if you've got the right size limbs or or percentage of, of muscle fibres. Yeah, and I think that's somewhere that or something that uh, Saeed didn't even uh, didn't even credit anywhere in his book. Bounce did he actually look at these physiological parameters? rowers at all because there's a biomechanical advantage to that yeah um 90 what is it there's something like 97 genes that have an effect on vo2 max trainability so your capacity to utilize oxygen which is obviously the key determinant of endurance performance it's got that many genetic uh sort of bits to the stew that there is no doubt that some people respond and some people don't some people can raise theirs to a certain level. Some people can't. I think we all know as well, it's the same sort of genetic story for speed and power development as well. If you don't have the right fibre types, 
you don't have the right genetic variants, you don't have things like ACTN3, you will never be truly quick. You can do 10,000 hours of practice and you'll run much more smoothly and much more efficiently and be quicker, but you'll never be truly quick. And I think that's, as a teacher, sports developer, I want to make people better. Yeah. And, and, I'm, and I don't have so much of an ego that I, I have to work with the best athletes all the time. Some of the some of the best sporting experiences have been with the with the kids that, that haven't got much of a background in sport and you suddenly find something and they just take to it and they immerse themselves in it and you're like, this is brilliant. It still doesn't look very pure, but it's brilliant. <laughs> well, you come down to the thing is why are you playing sport? Are you playing sport because it's uh, enjoyable or are you playing it because you want to get to the top? Well, yeah. And most people need to play it because it, it's enjoyable. Yeah, which is, yeah, for 99.99% of people, it's just a fun amateur activity correct correct so um i mean yeah this ten thousand hours rule um they, the musicians were asked when they were adults weren't they about how often they practiced when they were when they were children um yeah it was all very retrospective wasn't it and and loosely uh and ten thousand hours seems like a nice round figure to me whereas they love numbers like that don't they it really uh it just it's just a nice figure to get your head around any nice round number like that. All 10,000 hours, oh, that will do. They have done studies uh, subsequent to that where they've actually logged practice as they've gone along. Okay. Uh, and, of course, they, they've then found that there's huge actually uh, differences in the amount of hours practiced by people who are professional uh, musicians. Hmm. I think the danger you get as well is a lot of the work on practice, and even Ericsson, who first came up with it, has tried to sort of rein it in a little bit because mm. it's not actually quite how he wanted his findings presented. <laughs> right. These things have been done with classical musicianship and chess. Okay. You can't then say this applies to chess and uh, classical music, hence it applies to everything. It's yeah. And to do so is just a little bit lazy, I think. I might be doing a, the musicians a disservice, but is there much decision making in in music? Yeah, see, this is probably something we shouldn't get involved in. Um, <laughs> after my great whatever it was on the tenor horn when I was at primary school, um, I never knew that. I never knew that. <laughs> we're all forced to play instruments when we're kids, aren't we? It's what mums do to their poor sons and daughters. Um, <laughs> Did you not play? Go, did you not join the orchestra um, at Millfield? I didn't. No, no. I gave up everything as soon as I could and just ran around playing sport. Um, so they've recently done a big meta-analysis on deliberate practice and performance in music, games, sport, education, and professions. Do you want to explain what uh, deliberate practice uh, is first? Sorry, uh, deliberate practice is the idea that me and you can go out into your garden um, and chuck a rugby ball about that's not deliberate practice that's just play yeah okay deliberate practice is practice that is planned with learning objectives and outcomes and structured that way okay yeah. so what they're saying is that regardless of the domain a large amount of variance in performance is not explained by deliberate practice and is potentially explainable by other factors what's quite interesting about it is uh, for sport, 
it can only account for about 18% of the variance. What's interesting in deliberate practice is it only accounts for about 4% of the variance in education. Okay. Which does make me wonder about how we teach yeah. um, uh, and whether what we do is effective or not. So it's like a lot of psychology and uh, sort of cognitive science. Nobody truly knows the answers yet, which is why when you come down with these binary arguments, this is right, this is what you must do. This isn't right. You mustn't do that anymore. Um, often you end up often throwing away good practice, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not a one-size-fits-all model, is it? it? It's not. You look at, uh, obviously, and the, the RFU did this with all their coaching courses, it just very much became centred on the gains for understanding approach. Yeah. Okay, so you take Bunker and Thought's work out of love in the 70s, um, then it kind of gets crystallised in Australia's institution gains for understanding. And you must coach all sport now through playing games. Yeah. Um, then you think about that, or you watch people running games, and you watch them and you think, okay, that kid there hasn't touched the ball. Mm. Yeah. That, that kid there has touched it 10 times. That kid there hasn't done that. Um, and what you've actually done, and it's a little bit like teaching, I think, you can't put people into a game until they know what the facts are. And in the same way, you can't ask somebody, you can't teach somebody a subject if they don't understand the underpinning facts to it because you start using vocabulary and words that they don't understand. It's not their fault. No one's told them it before. And I think it's the same thing with coaching, whereby actually drilling and sort of repetitive block practice does still have its place. Getting the ball in the hands, feeling it, just passing it. And you can actually do that. It's sort of a game-based approach if you do it in a drill where you're stood next to each other in a line because it does replicate what you might do in a game. Mm. And for a long time, all that was thrown out. Um, and I think it's now starting to come back again as people realise it does still have its place. I certainly do with, with the RFU, I, having spent a few years being a coach educator. I was I was on those courses. I was delivering those courses as it was going through that cycle. And I look at other sports now, and I look at some of my other coaches and teachers that are going on these courses. And I do feel maybe I'm biased, but the RFU was is is very good at its coach education. So maybe it's ahead of some others. Now other sports are going. Yeah, yeah, games for understanding, games for understanding. Yeah, do it all through this, and yeah, never give the kids an answer. And it's like, whoa, hang on, hang on. We're, you know, you can't all be right. Um, but I do think probably the message we're maybe going to give at the end of this is that a balance of everything is probably is probably ideal. Yeah, and, and this is, I think, one of the problems I have with people like Matthew Saeed is they come down so clearly on one side um, and they're influential beyond where, in my opinion, their sort of intellectual achievements uh, say they should be. But because they're popular books, people pick them up. Um, and I, I just think there are real, real issues with that. I was told at work uh, two years ago that we weren't supposed to give students marks anymore because it demotivated them. Um, and, of course, the answer to that is sometimes you should give marks on a piece of work and sometimes you shouldn't. Yeah. It's not a while or the other thing. There are times students at times need to know exactly how many they got out of 10 and how they go from 6 to 10. 
Sometimes it might even be one student where you get up in them and you think, if I give them a mark on this, I'm going to destroy their motivation um, and they'll never want to come to any of my lessons again. So you, you have to keep that variety of approaches. I suspect that came from Carol Dweck's mindset where you don't want to know the outcome, you just want to know how to get better. Yeah, Dweck's an interesting one, isn't she? Um, Should we save her for another week? I did write her down in my preparation for this one. Oh, go on then, go on then. I'll let you, I'll let you, I'll let you mention then. <laughs> um, yeah, where did I put Dweck again? I think Dweck, in some ways, well, not some way, I'm not going to argue with Dweck. She's a particularly eminent uh, psychologist who's done an awful lot of work at places like Stanford, which wouldn't let me through the door, quite frankly. Um, growth mindset, every teacher and every coach surely believes that everybody can improve to some extent agreed and tries to create an environment where everybody can improve to their level and if you are just going to go in and say well people can't learn and they can't do this and they can't do that you shouldn't actually go into the profession should you um whether you then need to produce a concept about that to deal with something which to my mind is common sense i don't don't know um but again with growth mindset you can't say to a kid, you can be as good as that kid there. When they're sitting there watching going, they're six foot four, they run 110.5, okay? I'm five foot two. Um, I run 100 in 19.8. It's not going to happen. And kids can see that. Yeah. So you do have to sort of use the message correctly. Yeah, I agree. But striving to be the best you can be has is, is got to be a good thing. Yeah, oh, without a doubt. It's got Definitely. Good so are there any other uh, popular science books that, are, that uh, are out at the moment or around that are um, maybe extreme in their view or one end of the spectrum maybe rather than extreme? I've got a problem with uh, Saeed black box thinking. <laughs> same, um, same author then. <laughs> same author. And I, again, I will say there is a caveat here in that I flicked through it. I didn't read it because it just made me angry when I was reading it. I have subsequently heard him deliver a speech on it, which again made me angry. Um, and I think, as I mentioned earlier, I, obviously I struggle to get my hands above shoulder height, but I made a real effort of getting my hand up for the question bit of the talk, and he didn't ask me any. <laughs> which I can imagine made you extremely happy for your drive home. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did annoy me, but. He is ultimately, he's a journalist, and he stood there doing what he did in Bounce, which is cherry-picking bits of research from uh, unassociated fields and trying to apply them to other things. So he had a pop of doctors and suggested that they should follow the same safety procedures as airlines do. Uh, you can't uh, compare an airline which is a man-made machine to which we understand every single working part to dealing with uh, medical issues it's a completely different field of study and this is what he does um, and he does it repeatedly and nobody ever seems to pick him up on it which I, I find really really odd I saw him do a talk uh, to the Metropolitan Police about crime rates and he was banging on about behavioural change um, and Team Sky and marginal gains and looking down at every single little bit of the process. And you're sitting there thinking, so you're an expert on policing now and you're an expert on uh, professional cycling. 
you're, you're sort of thinking you bought into this whole Team Sky myth that they invented sports science and there wasn't any sports science in cycling before and that riders didn't watch what they ate and teams didn't look at getting the most aerodynamic position on the bike. Um, and I think he's written a number of articles where he's come out fully in support of Team Sky, who are an amazing British success story. But I think in 2016, he wrote this incredible headline, which I have got here for you. Um, so from the Times in July 2016, if you think Sky used drugs, prove it by Matthew Said. So um, say that again, because your email went off. Go on, say it again. Okay. Uh, so the headline to this story he wrote in the Times, uh, July 26, 2016. If you think Sky used drugs, prove it. That was the headline. Matthew Said, Sports Columnist of the Year. Um, I don't think he actually knows very much about sport, but anyway. Uh, in this article... He has a pop at, there's a scientist called Ross Tucker, who's one of the world's preeminent sports scientists, um, scientific advisor to world rugby, amongst other things. Um, obviously a PhD in sports science, taught at the University of Cape Town, the University of the Free State. He refers to Ross Tucker as a South African blogger who often retweets individuals. It's like, what you've forgotten to do there is mention that actually he's a highly respected academic in the field of sports science. But, you know, thanks for piling in like that. Um, but then what he writes is uh, Ross Tucker, a blog and academic who often retweets individuals who insinuate that Team Sky are involved in systematic doping, attempted to deal with a wrinkle in that argument. Not a single whistleblower has emerged from the mass ranks of Team Sky or British cycling to make such allegations. Now, obviously, subsequent to that, we had Chris Froome's positive test for salbutamol. We've got the Richard Freeman, who's a doctor for Team Sky and British Cycling, who's got an ongoing case at the moment with the General Medical Council about uh, testosterone deliveries to British Cycling. We've got the Bradley Wiggins and the therapeutic use exemptions, which the Russian hacking group Fancy Bears got let out into the public. Now, I don't cast any aspersions on Bradley Wiggins because he didn't do anything wrong. He followed the rules. Yeah. Um, however, if you're going to stand there as David Brailsford would do and as Matthew Said will do and say that success is all about this incredible attention to detail and marginal gains and we've got a zero tolerance policy to uh, drug taking and anyone who's worked in the fit or been involved with people who've drug talk taken before then you've got a problem i think with those things i've ne never seen the apology from matthew side but i am waiting for it so <laughs> well let's hope he's not listening otherwise we're going to end up ourselves in court but they are just our views they're not you know they're not um we're not saying that it's all no. wrong no and maybe i'm just jealous of the fact that he's got a uh he's got a position in the Times where he can spout his nonsense. I don't know, but yeah, he's, he's obviously got a good publicist, and we're um, he's got a good platform in which to do it. We just wish he'd do it a bit more, um, less sensational. Yes, and he does have an insufferable arrogance about him at times. In that same article, he talks about how he's also gone after Vladimir Putin and called him a dictator and a tyrant. And he's also criticised Kim Jong-il and Fidel Castro and Boris Berezovsky. 
you're like, do you really think, Matthew, they paid any attention whatsoever to what you said? Are you expected to be hunted down and poisoned by Vladimir Putin? <laughs> like a third-rate British table tennis player. I mean, it's just... Well, let's not knock the table tennis. If he was number one, he was number one. There's not a lot we can do about that. Oh, and, yeah, and, but think about it. And Does the, table tennis in Britain attract the best athletes? Possibly not, but it would still be nice to be number one. It would be. I'll be. I'll it be. Would. I'll be captain. Fair play, Mister Positive, on that one. <laughs> yeah, I might let you have that one. Probably unnecessary, but it is a fair point. Does your best athlete at your school play table tennis? Uh, no, but we have some very good table tennis players and they do very well um, across the board and we have a, um, a very dedicated teacher, probably much like Matthew Saeed had and he talks about in his book, who plows a lot of time and effort into into those students. Um, some of them go on, some of them will play for maybe three or four years, five years, play in some local competitions, some regional competitions. Um, but the last success is... Uh, that we had sort of at the top end at under 18s um he he nurtured those those boys and girls from the age of sort of 7 or 8 all the way through to the senior part of the school all playing table tennis together and it was really nice to see them you know get to the finals at the national um and and those 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 pupils will remember that um it's we come back to this reason why do you play sport you play sport to enjoy it doesn't matter what that sport is just have fun doing it. Yeah, agreed, and those guys and those guys loved it. So, uh, and um, I think we're on the same page there, anyway. Andy, we've talked a lot about you know how you um, how you perceive uh, the book Bounce and some of the things that Matthew Said says. Out of everything there is, and I know you got annoyed when you didn't ask answer your, allow you to ask your question. I'm sure it must have been really embarrassing for him if you had have asked that question because you might have just stumped him. Because um, I'm sure people went there as fans of Matthew. So, um, are, are there any positive messages we can take from from what he talks about, what he promotes? Um, I think you know the reason the bounce was so popular is the fundamental message was if you practice, you can get better, whoever you are. Um, and that, as any educator or any coach should feel, that is correct. And it is correct, but I just come back to this thing. He calls it the myth of talent. It's actually a myth of 10,000 hours of practice. Um, don't come out fully on the side of one argument if you don't fully understand what's gone on behind it and the research that's been done behind that. So, yeah, practice. Practice deliberately. But... It's not the only way to make it. And as you alluded to earlier, Ericsson was was critical of his own work. Um, and if it's not your work, then you you, you should you should be uh, not necessarily critical, but you know, question it, back it up with something else. Yeah, and I think that's it's one of the problems you will always have with a popular author um, is that the the academics who do the work in the background will always pick holes. Uh, in other people's work because they've got the research and they understand the statistics that have been used to back it up. I think one of the problems with Saeed in particular, he is quite active on Twitter and he will try and jump all over people who argue with him. I think the difference with academic research and peer-reviewed stuff is you are putting it out there to be criticised by people. That is part of the process of it. Um, so if you're going to use it in a best-selling book, you need to be prepared to go through that process as well. 
Yeah, fair enough. I mean, as you said, when you 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 were at university, that's that's what one of the things you learned, wasn't it? It teaches you to be critical. Um, it teaches you to not quite believe everything that you are. So, if you look in the world of health and fitness and sport, um, there is so much nonsense that is published. You know, every story, every week, there's a new story about how you shouldn't eat this and you shouldn't do that, you should do this and you should do that. It's like, please, you can do it. We've got Google nowadays. Google it and go to the original research and see what's there. Yeah, that original research. That's. Uh, I know you spend time doing that when you read things, don't you? Yeah, maybe it's because I'm sad and I can't leave the house. I don't know, but <laughs> it's definitely not that. Andy, you entertain me every time I speak to you. It's uh, it's enlightening to be educated uh, in such a way that you do it. Um, you're clearly passionate about everything that you read and you do, and that's because you enjoy it. And um, it's always a pleasure to to spend this time with you to to learn more and and to understand more. Um, you know, I I remember. You know, when Bounce first came out, it was a bit of a, uh, you know, anybody you walked past that talked about sports, they said, have you read Bounce? And, of course, you felt like you ought to read Bounce. Um, so, clearly, Matthew's done a good job on publicising a few things, and maybe we could learn a few lessons. Uh, have you got a final message for him, maybe? Uh, no, just to say, this is just my opinion. Um... <laughs> Are you free for a conversation and a beer well, anytime? I'm... Yes, yeah, I'm very happy to sit down though and still argue my point face to face. Yeah, good man, good man. Um, and uh, any any clues on what we might be discussing next week? You always ask me this, and I can never really think of anything, but um, I will think of something in good time. Good man. All right, well, you uh, you enjoy the weekend. Stay safe, stay active, and um, we'll speak to you soon. All right, sport. See you later. See you later. Bye bye.